Learn to Lead, Volume 1, Chapter 2, The Cadet and the Team. Chapter Outline. In this chapter, you will learn about 1.1 Introduction, History of the Cadet, 1.2 Self-Management, Personal Goal Setting, Ethical Decision-Making, Efficient Time Management, Healthy Stress Management, 1.3 Teamwork, Characteristics of Teams, Qualities of Good Team Players, Your Mentor and You, 1.4 Communications, Active Listening, Questions and the Importance of Feedback, Reading Critically, 1.5 Drill and Ceremonies, 1.6 Conclusion. Chapter 2 Goals 1. Describe self-management skills that are essential to leaders. 2. Develop an understanding of how to listen actively and read critically. 3. Defend the idea that individuals can accomplish more as a team than they can on their own. 1.1 Introduction History of the Cadet Cadets are leaders in training. Their history dates back to the 15th century, originating in the courts of French kings. In Renaissance France, distinguished families would send their young sons to the palace where they would learn how to conduct themselves as gentlemen, leaders, and patriots. After gaining some maturity and experience, they won commissions as military officers. America rejects the rule of kings and queens but has kept faith in cadets. Eager to cast off the ways of the old world, George Washington refused to allow people to address him as, Your Majesty. How many other traditions of the European court would die? not the noble rank of cadet. When it came time to establish the first American military academies, the old title, cadet, had retained its special dignity. In 1802, the first students at West Point proclaimed themselves cadets. Americans have always recognized something special in cadets and are proud to support young people who take seriously their duty to themselves, their nation, and their futures. How should a cadet pursue their goal of becoming a leader? Some of the first steps seem to be to take responsibility for oneself, to invest fully in the ethic of teamwork, and to learn how to communicate with other leaders. Those are the themes of this chapter, Personal Goal Setting. Objectives 3. Describe the concept of a future picture. 4. Outline the steps used in the goal-setting process. 5. Describe benefits of setting personal goals. A goal is simply a dream with a deadline. Goals describe what you want to achieve in your life. They are the destinations you hope to reach at the end of your journeys. Goals describe where you are going, they do not try to explain the less important details of how you will get there. Good leaders will set short, medium, and long-range goals for themselves, and use those goals as beacons to guide their every action. Future Picture One way to set goals for yourself is by imagining a future picture a clear and compelling description of what you want your life to look like at some point in the future. To your task as a leader is not only to describe that future picture, but to make sure all of your actions bring you a step closer to it. What Alice learned about goals. Which way should I go? That depends on where you are going. I don't know where I am going. Then it doesn't matter which way you go. From Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. A goal-setting process. The best way to set goals is to work back from the future, not forward from the present. Here are six steps to help you set goals. 1. Dream big. What do you want to do with your life? Go for it. Dreams are fuel for your goals. 2. Identify a specific goal and write it down. Dreams can be vague, but goals need to be specific. By expressing your goals in writing, you force yourself to state precisely what you want to achieve. 3. 
List the steps needed to reach the goal. What's the best way to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Identifying the steps needed to reach your goal will make a seemingly huge project easier to achieve. 4. Get help and support from others. Tell your friends and family about your goals. They might be able to offer advice or open doors for you. Plus, you're more apt to succeed if people you care about are encouraging you. 5. Work toward your goal, one step at a time. Take stock in how you're doing. Are you on schedule? How many tasks have you completed? What remains? Are you experiencing any difficulties? Can anyone help you overcome them? 6. Reward yourself along the way and when you complete your goal. The bigger the goal, the farther away it always seems. By rewarding yourself as you make progress toward your goal, you get yourself incentives to keep going and not give up. Personal Goal Setting An example Do you dream of becoming an Air Force pilot? That would be an excellent long-range goal. Working backwards from this goal, you learn you must become an Air Force officer and graduate from college. Still working backwards, you see the importance of earning good grades in school, so you set a medium-range goal of earning Bs or better this semester. How do you do that? You set short-term goals calling on you to keep up with your schoolwork daily. Working back from the future, you've identified how to achieve your long-range goal. Goal setting is an easy concept to grasp. The challenge is ordering your lives so that everything you do brings you one step closer to your dreams. Benefits of goal setting By now it should be clear that goals give you a sense of mission, a rudder, a meaningful purpose. Without goals, you are simply adrift with no direction and no destination in mind. Therefore, having goals will help you focus your time, energy, and talents on activities that propel you forward. Ethical decision-making Objectives 6. Defend the idea that leaders should follow a process as they make decisions. 7. Identify and describe the seven steps used in the ethical decision-making process. How do leaders make decisions? Good leaders follow a decision-making process. If you were to bake a cake, you would follow a recipe. Forget an ingredient and your cake will come out wrong. Likewise, a decision-making process is useful because it helps ensure you won't overlook an important aspect of your problem. Outlined below is one model for making decisions. 1. Stop, think, and define the problem. The old adage, think before you act, is good advice. Before making a decision, stop and think. People are apt to make foolish decisions when they are under pressure. Then, as you think about the situation, try to define the problem in precise words. At first glance, it can seem shapeless and vague. Define the problem and write it down. You cannot solve a problem if you do not know exactly what it is in the first place. 2. Get the facts. Be sure you have adequate information to support an intelligent choice. You can't make good decisions if you don't know the facts. As you gather and consider the facts, be mindful of the difference between facts, opinions, and assumptions. 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's a fact. The B-2 spirit is the world's greatest airplane. That's an opinion. Cadets who exercise regularly will pass the fitness test. That's an assumption. In the early stages of decision-making, it is easy for some information to seem factual when it isn't. 3. Brainstorm and list your options. Brainstorming is a method of generating a large number of creative ideas. The key is to blurt out any idea that comes to mind, no matter how stupid it may sound. During this stage of the problem-solving process, do not judge possible solutions, just generate them. 
If you cannot think of more than two ideas, you're probably not thinking hard enough. If possible, seek help from people you trust because brainstorming works best when more than one person is involved. The goal of this step in the process is to build a list of possible solutions. 4. Weigh your options. Consider the pros and cons of your possible solutions. As you look at each option, there may be no perfect solution, each option is apt to have advantages and disadvantages. Try to imagine the consequences of each choice as best as you can. Consider how the decisions will affect stakeholders, people who have a stake in the solution. 5. Consider your values. Good leaders make ethical decisions that reflect their values. What if your decision was to be reported in the news? Would you be proud or ashamed? Consider how your best solution relates to the core values. This step in the process is important because leaders can become so focused on solving a problem that they forget that some solutions are morally wrong. 6. Decide and act. You now have a good amount of information to make an intelligent choice. But before you decide and act, pause if you can. Must you choose right away? If not, sleep on your decision. Talk with people you respect. Finally, decide and act. Having followed a decision-making process, you will have some peace of mind in knowing you have looked at the problem from every possible angle and are making the best choice you can make. 7. Reevaluate the decision. How well is your solution working? Is it producing the results you want? Are you seeing any unintended consequences? Good leaders reevaluate their decisions and change course if necessary. Reversing a bad decision is a mark of strength. As a new leader, you should refer to this model of decision-making and follow it step by step. With experience, you will naturally internalize this model, or one similar to it, which will allow you to make good decisions quicker and more instinctively. Leadership Crisis John F. Kennedy and the Cuban Missiles October 1962 The Soviet Union places nuclear missiles in Cuba, just 90 miles off the coast of Florida. President Kennedy instantly realizes the missiles pose a terrible threat to U.S. security. Should he invade Cuba, but risk nuclear war in the process? Should he allow the missiles to remain in Cuba and risk the Soviets thinking they can bully America? At first glance, these were Kennedy's only choices. It was an immensely stressful situation, but he and his team worked through a decision-making process. They were creative. They looked at the problem from every possible angle. As a result, they discovered a third option to solving their problem, a naval blockade that caused the Soviets to remove the missiles from Cuba. Good leaders know how to solve problems. Questions leaders ask. Making decisions is what leaders do. It is a challenging job because there are many sides to even seemingly simple problems. Some questions leaders ask include. When do I need to decide? Can I sleep on it? Who should I talk to before making my decision? Do I have all the information I need? Am I being too optimistic about my options? How do my possible solutions stack up against my long-term goals? How much do my possible solutions cost in time, money, and effort? Can I simply say no to this problem and walk away from it? What are the risks? What are some unintended consequences that could result from my solution? If I get the solution wrong, Will the result be mildly annoying, inefficient, or utterly terrible? How sure am I about the facts? Am I the person who should make this decision? Avoiding the ethical trap. Objectives. 8. Define the term ethical trap and explain why leaders need to avoid it. 
9. Defend the idea that good leaders motivate followers to live the core values. When making decisions, consider the core values. Leaders who make bad initial decisions often get caught in the ethical trap. That is, their solution to a problem turns out to be unethical, and as a result, a secondary ethical problem pops up. Now instead of having one problem, they have two. Suppose you see a student cheat on a test, but do nothing. Another person sees this and thinks you and the cheating student are both cheaters and may be working together. By not responding to the cheating in the first place, you've created another problem for yourself as people think you're a cheater too. This is the ethical trap. Studies show that when people are confronted with an ethical problem, they often do less than they believe they should do. They find themselves in an ethical trap. Perhaps this happens because inspirational leaders are uncommon. If a leader models the core values and shows a high degree of moral courage, the team will be inspired to follow the leader's positive example. Failed Leadership Nixon Leaves Winehouse in Disgrace June 17, 1972 Five men are arrested in what appears to be a third-rate burglary of the Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate Hotel in Washington. Two years later, President Nixon would resign as a result of the scandal. Did Nixon participate in the burglary? No, but the president's top aides would testify that Nixon tried to cover up the dirty politics. He even fired the prosecutor who was investigating his administration's crimes. In the end, it was the cover-up that did Nixon in. For the first time in U.S. history, a president was forced to resign from office. Today, the word Watergate symbolizes corrupt leadership and abuse of power. Effective time management. Objectives. 10. Define the term time management. 11. Explain why time management is an important skill for leaders. Goals are the starting point of effective time management, the process of organizing and using your time wisely. Because time is the one resource you're always running out of. The clock ticks away seconds from your life that you'll never get back. Whether you reach your goals depends on how well you manage your time. Moreover, as a young leader in training, you need to develop good time management skills for yourself now before you take on the increased burden of managing other people's time as well. Efficiency. Objectives. 12. Describe what it means to be efficient in terms of managing your time. 13. Describe ways leaders can become more efficient. Efficiency is a broad term describing how well a leader is making use of their time and other resources. Have you ever felt you had so much to do, but not enough time to do it? Perhaps you were working inefficiently. The old saying, work smarter, not harder, suggests that leaders can save time if they think critically about their jobs. Some examples of how to do this include Pay attention. One way to save time is to pay attention to the instructions of teachers, parents, and other leaders. Listen carefully. Take notes, ask questions. Have the leader clarify anything that seems unclear. Developing such a habit saves you time and shows others that you respect their time, too. Come prepared. It costs time to save time. Come prepared for the job at hand. This principle applies to school, CAP, and adult employment. For example, by spending a few moments reviewing your homework before class, you are better prepared to learn. Another example would be preparing your uniform the night before a CAP event so you do not risk forgetting something that costs you more time in the long run. Focus on your goals. Not all work is productive. Effective leaders are always asking themselves, is this moving me toward my goal? Earlier, you studied the importance of creating a future picture. 
As a leader, devote yourself to those things that bring you closer to your future picture. Because young people often receive numerous opportunities, join CAP, play sports, take a part-time job, it is vital for them to say no to opportunities that distract from their goals. Do it right the first time. Haste makes waste. Working as fast as possible may seem like a time saver, but working too fast may result in your making so many mistakes you need to start over. The carpenter's old saying, measure twice, cut once, illustrates this principle. Put another way, it is wise to budget plenty of time to do a job right, rather than to rush. Sequence the work efficiently. Stuff the envelope before you seal the flap. Shower after you exercise, not before. Common sense often tells us there is a right way for doing a job. But with complicated jobs like assembling a jumbo jet or building a skyscraper, leaders need to think critically about how they sequence their work so that they use their time as efficiently as possible. Maximize uptime, limit downtime. While it is not possible or even wise to work every moment of the day, leaders want to maximize their uptime, the amount of time they are actually working. Likewise, leaders try to limit downtime, time spent waiting for the opportunity to work. Consider two ways of baking a cake. One option is to mix the ingredients, put the cake in the oven, wait for it to bake, and then clean up. The time spent waiting for the cake to bake is downtime. A second, more efficient option would be to start cleaning up while the cake is baking. Downtime can be transformed into uptime if leaders find ways to keep themselves busy. And of course there is no substitute for determination, hustle, and hard work, procrastination. Objectives, 14. Define the term, procrastination. 15. Describe reasons why people procrastinate. 16. Describe ways to overcome procrastination. Perhaps the leader's biggest enemy in managing their time is procrastination, the practice of putting off for no good reason a task that should be done right now. There are many reasons why people procrastinate, including fear of failure, uncertainty about what they are supposed to do, not knowing where to start, the task is unpleasant, desire to work tasks that are more fun. How can you overcome procrastination? As with any problem, the first step toward a solution involves admitting there is a problem. Once you know you procrastinate, try to identify why you are avoiding the task. If the problem is you've been assigned a huge project like writing a 40-page term paper and you simply don't know where to begin, try solving that problem first. Some ways to beat procrastination include, consider your peace of mind. Procrastination affects your ability to relax. Deep down you know you should be hard at work when you're not. To motivate yourself, Think about how good you'll feel and the freedom you'll earn to do something more enjoyable once the unpleasant task is behind you. Publicly commit to the work. Suppose you know you should talk with someone about a difficult subject. Instead of procrastinating, send the person an email saying you'd like to talk with them at a specific day and time. Scheduling an unpleasant task in a way that makes it hard to turn back is one way to force yourself to perform. Use rewards, make a deal with yourself. Tell yourself that when you complete the task, you'll reward yourself with something fun. Rewards can be simple. For example, when you finish your math homework, let yourself play a video game for 15 minutes. Then when you finish your English homework, give yourself another 15-minute break. Tell me if anything ever was done. His energy and talents were too often wasted on doodles and unfinished projects, submarines, parachutes, and helicopters, for example.
Leonardo da Vinci was a procrastinator. He got around to finishing his famous painting, The Last Supper, only after his patron threatened to withhold money. It took him twenty years to finish the Mona Lisa. Procrastinators, you are in good company. Tools for managing your time. Objective. 17. Describe tools useful in managing your time. You are in charge of you. If you do not get yourself organized and manage your time, no one else will. Your system for doing this can be as detailed or as simple as you want it to be. Described below are some recommended time management tools. Keep a calendar. Keep track of appointments, deadlines, events, birthdays, and the like on a calendar. Software programs can track this information and even remind you when an event is coming up. The level of detail you put into your calendar is up to you. Organize your time down to the half hour or just track the tasks you want to accomplish that day. Wear a watch. One of the best ways to ensure you are on time is to know what time it is. Keep a notepad. No one's memory is perfect. Use a notepad for recording homework assignments, outlining instructions given to you by leaders, making lists of things you want to do, and for collecting your great ideas. Create do lists. Efficiency experts believe that prioritized do lists are essential time management tools. Step one in the process is to list all the tasks you need to complete in the near future. Step two is to identify whether the task is urgent, routine, or low priority. The third and final step is to prioritize the tasks within each of those three categories. Such a system helps focus leaders on the tasks that are most important, while temporarily setting aside tasks that might be nice to do but are less pressing. How to create a prioritized do list. Make a list of the things you need and want to do in the near future. How important is each task? Hi, the most important things you could do today. The medium, tasks that are important, but could wait until another day. Below, tasks that would be nice to do, but are definitely less critical than the others. Next, within the high, medium, and low groups, rank the tasks 1, 2, 3, etc. You now have a do list where the tasks are arranged in a way that is consistent with your goals. Example. Hi. 1. Study for tomorrow's math test. 2. Bake cake for mom's birthday party tonight. Medium. 1. Exercise for 30 minutes. 2. Write first draft of term paper, due next Friday. 3. Make dentist appointment, low. 1. Apply for summer encampment. 2. Start planning next Saturday's hike up Mount Lafayette. Make a time inventory. If you are having trouble managing your time, one way to take charge of the problem is to make a time inventory. To do this, keep a notepad with you at all times throughout the day. Every time you start a new activity, make a note. It is important to be as detailed and precise as possible in your notes. At the end of the day, analyze your notes to see how you are spending your time. You might be surprised by how much time you spend watching TV, surfing the web, talking with friends, etc. Once you know exactly how you are spending your time, you can manage it better. Allow for flexibility and fun. People are not machines. They have a genuine need for fun, spontaneity, and relaxation. If these needs are not met, a person will become frustrated and unhappy. In extreme cases, their health can suffer. When managing their own time and their team's time, leaders need to allow for rest and relaxation. Moreover, not having every moment of the day planned is a responsible way to save time for unexpected tasks. The Busy Man 
If you want to get a favor done by some obliging friend and want a promise safe and sure on which you may depend, don't go to him who always has much leisure time to plan. If you want your favor done, just ask the busy man. The man with leisure never has a moment he can spare. He's always putting off until his friends are in despair. But he whose every waking hour is crowded full of work forgets the art of wasting time. He cannot stop to shirk. So when you want a favor done and want it right away, go to the man who constantly works 20 hours a day. He'll find a moment somewhere that has no other use and help you while the idle man is framing an excuse. Author unknown. Goals, rocks, and sand. Imagine you have a jar, some big rocks, some little rocks, and some sand. What's the best way to fit the maximum amount of rocks and sand into the jar? First, you place all the big rocks in the jar. Gradually, you start adding the little rocks. Sand comes last because it is small and spills down into the little gaps between the rocks. What does this exercise say about time management? That no matter how full your day is, chances are there's a way to fit even more activity into it, perhaps. After all, if you shake your jar of rocks, you can probably create space for even more sand. More importantly, this exercise shows that you'll never fit the big rocks into the jar unless you place them first. A jar already loaded with small rocks and sand cannot hold a big rock. What are the big rocks in your life? Are you placing them first? Healthy Stress Management Objectives 18. Define the term stress. 19. Describe how stress can be both positive and negative. 20. Explain why leaders need to be able to manage their stress. Stress is the body's response to change. The word is often used in a negative way. For instance, you might say you are stressed out because you have so much homework to do. But stress is designed to be a lifesaver. In a time of danger, stress gets your adrenaline going so you can move quickly to dodge a harmful threat. Also, having a little stress in your life can help you achieve more because it energizes and pumps you up. As a leader, you need to manage and control the stress in your life. If stress is left unchecked, it becomes a destructive force that will harm your body, paralyze your efforts, and drive you toward dangerous behaviors, sources of stress. Objectives 21. Define the term stressor. 22. Describe everyday occurrences that can produce stress. 23. Explain why young people are more prone to stress than adults. Where does stress come from? Anything that causes stress is called a stressor. Stressors range from everyday annoyances to serious personal problems. Stressors can include events like arguing with a friend, moving to a new city, being picked on at school, breaking up with a girlfriend or boyfriend, being around a drug user, being upset with your parents, worrying about your personal appearance, getting glasses or braces, coping with the death of a pet, friend, or relative. Young people are more prone to stress than adults for several reasons. First, just growing up and discovering who you are is stressful. Second, because young people lack the experience adults have amassed, they do not always realize that ups and downs are a normal part of life. It is common for teens to believe minor stressors are major problems. Third, a teen's social world is less stable than an adult's. Their circle of friends is more apt to be in a state of flux. These factors make the teen years among the most stressful times in a person's life. Resilience Objective 24. Define the term resilience. Stress will always be a part of your life. 
The key is knowing how to control and limit it. Resilience is the ability to bounce back and recover from adversity. It is the ability to return to your original form and position. Think of a rubber band. You can stretch, twist, and snap it, but it will always return to its normal state. That's resilience. How well you achieve your goals depends on whether you bounce back from adversity. Moreover, followers expect their leader to have self-control and not to let stress affect the team. Coping Styles Objective 25 Describe each of the seven steps used in managing stress. How do you cope with stress? Do you tackle the problem head-on? Do you do something you hope will make you feel better, like eat when you're not really hungry, or retreat to the safety of your bedroom? Do you completely ignore stressors and just hope they magically disappear? Described below are seven ways to manage stress. Try to resolve the problem. Ignoring a problem will not make it go away. If you're upset with someone, talk it out. If you upset someone else, apologize. Release some stress by talking with a friend about what is bothering you. People who try to fix their problems tend to be emotionally healthier. Avoid things that bring you down. To manage stress, know yourself. What brings you down? What makes you tense, frustrated, or upset? Knowing what bothers you and taking steps to avoid those stressors is one way to manage stress. But it is not a foolproof way. Sometimes you simply cannot avoid stressors, you might have to sit next to a jerk in math class. And of course, you do not want to avoid all forms of challenge in your life. Let some things go. Do you have the power to fix every problem you encounter? Probably not. Certain things are beyond your control, the weather, what others think of you, how much money your parents make, etc. People who waste their energy worrying about the things they cannot change do not have enough energy to fix those things they can change. Exercise. When you are stressed, your body is saying, run, so do it. Exercise is the most important part of a plan to manage stress. If you are feeling angry, exercise is a great way to release those bad feelings. Do some rapid-fire push-ups. Sprint away your troubles. Plus, exercise will make you healthier overall, so you'll have more energy during the day and won't feel as crummy when stress does enter your life. Relax. Scientists say that your body's nervous system cannot be calm and in crisis mode at the same time. By practicing relaxation techniques, you can fool your body such that stress hormones stop firing and a relaxed feeling takes over. One way to do this is through controlled breathing. Just sit comfortably with your back straight and your feet flat on the floor. Close your eyes and simply focus on your breathing. Perhaps outside thoughts may intrude, but just ignore them 10 times in 10 seconds if you have to. The goal is to turn off the thoughts racing through your mind so that you can slow down, give your mind a rest, and regain a measure of calmness. Eat well. Good nutrition is an important part of any healthy lifestyle. In contrast, junk food contains sugars and chemicals that excite and then depress the body. People who eat mostly junk food have highs and lows in their energy level, which harms their ability to manage stress. Sleep well. Sleep researchers believe teens require 9 to 10 hours of sleep per night. Too many teens do not sleep enough, which results in excessive daytime sleepiness. When you're tired, your health, school performance, brain power, and mood suffers. Rely on your wingman, who helps you look after your physical, mental, and spiritual fitness, your wingman. In fighter pilot jargon, a wingman flies next to you in combat. In everyday life, a wingman is a friend who helps you make good decisions.
It's the Air Force version of the buddy system. The Weeman is absolutely indispensable. According to the legendary fighter ace, Gabby Gabreski, I look after my Weeman, he looks after me. We work together. We fight together. Pair up with another cadet. Be each other's Weeman. Uncoping styles. Objective 26. Describe the consequences of not being able to cope with stress in a positive way. People who lack coping skills lose their battles with stress. As a result, they are more apt to turn to drugs, believing that getting high will help them escape from stress, despite the obvious facts on how drugs ruin lives. Second, people who lack coping skills can find themselves in a pattern of failure. Stress affects their mood, which frustrates their ability to succeed in everyday life, and then those failures produce more stress. Third, coping skills are especially important for leaders. As a leader, your ability to exert self-control is always on display. If your team believes you cannot manage your own stress, they will lose faith in your ability to lead. Self-management is a prerequisite for leadership. A leader will lack the necessary skills for leading others if he or she cannot even care for themselves. Having good self-management skills means being able to control one's own goals, decisions, time, and stress. 1.2 Self-Management Objectives 1. Define the term self-management. 2. Defend the idea that good leaders need to develop self-management skills. If you aspire to become a respected leader, you must take responsibility for your actions. Leaders will help you develop your potential, but there is no escaping the fact that you are in charge of you. Therefore, to become a successful leader, you will need to practice self-management, the process of directing and controlling your actions so that you can achieve your goals in life. If you have good self-management skills, you take ownership of the goals you set for yourself, the decisions you make, how you use your time, and how you control stress in your life. Characteristics of teams, objectives. 27. Define the term team. 28. Defend the idea that diversity makes a team stronger. 29. Explain how team members look to one another for leadership. 30. Describe why team spirit affects the team's ability to perform. 31. Define the term synergy. A team is a collection of individuals who are committed to working together to achieve a common goal. They agree on what this goal should be and share a belief in how they should pursue it. Let's take a closer look at what makes a team a team. Team diversity. Because a team is comprised of individuals, everyone on the team is unique and brings their own special talents and personality. Great teams use individuals' special skills to their advantage. One person's strength helps overcome another person's weakness. Team leadership. By being so committed to working together, team members often look to one another, not just to their boss, for leadership. They pass information to each other, encourage their fellow teammates, and solve problems together, rather than waiting for the leader's directions. Team spirit. One thing that makes being on a great team special is the feeling of team spirit. Teammates feel something deep down connecting them to the team. The best teams become something like extended families. This sense of team spirit is important because it builds trust, making team members eager to cooperate and not afraid of making compromises as they work together. Team power. Great teams seem to defy the laws of math, making 2 plus 2 equals 5. They produce synergy, the idea that by working together they can achieve more than each individual could on their own. Groups versus teams. Five people stand on a corner waiting for a bus. They share a common goal, to board the bus. But are they a team? What's missing? 
Five of the greatest basketball players of all time represent the U.S. in the Olympics. Each wants to win the gold, but on the court no one passes the ball. Everyone is a one-man show. Are they a team? What's missing? Qualities of good team players. Objectives. 32. Identify the four characteristics of good team players. 33. Explain why team members must possess self-discipline. 34. Defend the idea that teamwork requires sacrifice. 35. Explain why in team members' enthusiasm can affect the team. 36. Discuss what the term loyalty means in the context of teamwork. Now we know what a team is, but what does it take to become part of a team? Described below are four characteristics of good team members. They are the personal traits anyone will need if they hope to be welcomed onto a team. Self-discipline. Team members are supposed to add value to the team, not be a drain on the team's energy. Therefore, self-discipline is important. The team relies on its team members to direct and control their own actions to practice good self-management. Put another way, effective team members possess a self-discipline that makes them dependable. They have the discipline to follow directions. They come to the team ready to make a contribution. Selflessness. Teamwork always requires sacrifice. A willingness to put the team's needs ahead of your own is the price of admission onto any great team. Selflessness also requires team members to cooperate. They must be willing to help one another and the leader complete the team's work. Anytime a team member hinders the leader, the team suffers and can fail to reach its goals. Enthusiasm. If one member of the team has a positive attitude, that sunny outlook will spread to the other members of the team. Enthusiasm is contagious. Take responsibility for your own enthusiasm. Recognize that positive people are positive because they choose to be that way. Loyalty. None of these traits matter if you give up on the team, or even worse, betray the team or its leader. A team member must be loyal, faithful to the people on the team, supportive of its leader, and committed to the team's mission. Loyalty requires a commitment strong enough to hold the person to the team in good times and bad. Winston Churchill famously barked, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. Selfless service. Airman First Class William Pitsenbarger. A willingness to put the team ahead of yourself is the price of admission onto any great team. But how selfless must one be? April 11, 1966. Air Force pararescueman William Pitsenbarger volunteers to be hoisted from a helicopter into the jungle of Vietnam, where he will treat wounded soldiers. After Pitsenbarger rescues several men, his helicopter is hit and has to return to base. Nevertheless, he stays on the ground, continuing to provide first aid to the wounded. Eventually, the enemy overwhelms the Americans. Pitsenbarger fights valiantly, repeatedly exposing himself to enemy fire while rushing to the aid of the wounded. In the process, he is wounded once, twice, and a third time. Undaunted and in total disregard for his own safety, Airman Pitsenbarger continues providing medical aid to others, not stopping until his wounds claim his life. For his bravery and selfless service, William Pitsenbarger was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. Your Mentor and You Objectives 37. Define the term mentor 38. Defend the idea that cadets can benefit from mentoring 39. Identify five ways that mentors help cadets. Must you learn to lead on your own? Or can you take a team approach to your development as a leader? Luke had O.B. Juan. Helen Keller had Ann Sullivan. Batman mentored Robin. A mentor is a close, trusted, experienced advisor. 
They help you learn something that you would have learned less well, more slowly, or not at all if left alone. Mentoring usually takes place in an informal, one-on-one -on -one setting. And unlike a teacher or a boss, a mentor does not formally grade you or tell you what to do, but they will offer feedback so you can improve your leadership skills. Some examples of how mentors help junior cadets include, mentors are your role models. Mentors show you how to act. They model the attitudes, behaviors, and values that lead to success. Mentors challenge you. Mentors push you and stretch your capabilities. They motivate, prod, and encourage you to try new experiences. Mentors are your friends. To be a close and trusted advisor, a mentor must be something like a friend. A great mentor will show that they truly care about you and will enjoy helping you out. Mentors are your guides to CAP. Mentors show new cadets around CAP. They'll introduce you to your squadron mates, tell you about upcoming activities, and generally act as a guide to cadet life. Mentors are your tutors. Mentors teach and provide feedback. They are a great resource if you need help learning something. You can think of your mentor as your personal instructor, ready to share their expertise, being mentor-ready. Objective 40. Describe what a person needs to do to become mentor-ready. What can you do to make the most of a mentoring relationship? What do you need to do to be mentor-ready? First, you need to be eager to learn. A mentor's efforts to guide you around CAP, show you how to act, and tutor you in the basics of cadet life will be meaningless if you are not eager to learn. Second, mentoring works best if you are humble, free from pride and arrogance. A humble person is willing to be taught while a cocky person thinks they know everything already. Finally, you need to be ambitious. Mentors want to help people who are goal-orientated. Mentoring works best if you work aggressively to make the most of your time as a cadet and try to advance rapidly in a cadet program. Because a mentor's job is to help people help themselves, you retain responsibility for doing your own work and solving your own problems. 1.3. Teamwork. Self-management is important because it teaches you to lead yourself. But no man is an island. Being able to lead yourself is only a small part of leadership. As a leader, you also must learn how to work with others. Individuals form teams in the hope that TEAM, together everyone achieves more. Active listening. Objective 41. Define listening. Listening is the most neglected communication skill. If asked to name memorable speakers, many examples come to mind. Winston Churchill, We Will Fight on the Beaches, Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream, Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall, but who can name a great listener? Listening is an important, but underappreciated art. It is the process of receiving, deciphering, and responding to spoken and nonverbal messages. In short, listening means focusing intently on a speaker's message. As a new leader, someone who is just learning how to follow, you will not be called upon to speak in public or author important documents. But you will receive verbal instructions from your leaders. How well you listen will have a direct effect on your success as a cadet. Listening is a skill that deserves practice and study, listening versus hearing. Objective 4-2. Compare listening to hearing. Is listening the same as hearing? What's the difference? Listeners do not merely hear sounds, they focus on meaning. While hearing is passive, you let sounds enter your ears and perhaps you can't help but pay some attention to the words that make their way to your brain. Listening is active because you are hard at work carefully examining, analyzing, and evaluating a speaker's message. Reasons why people don't listen well. Objective 43. 
Identify reasons why people might not listen well. It is easy to take listening skills for granted. After all, we've been hearing sounds since before birth. One researcher found that most people rate their own listening skills as excellent and rate everybody else's as poor. Clearly, people have highly inflated opinions about their own listening skills. Some examples of why people do not listen as carefully as they might include. Thinking about what to say next. Having one mouth and two ears, we should spend twice as much time listening as we do talking. But in our fast-paced society, leaders might believe they must respond rapidly to what the other person has said. Instead of listening actively, they focus their mind on what they will say next. Even worse, they interrupt the speaker. They hear but do not listen. Hearing what we expect to hear. So much everyday conversation is routine. Ask a question and you just know what the answer will be. But what if the response is different? Hearing what we expect to hear rather than what the other person has said can pose a big problem. Try not to make assumptions about what the speaker is about to say. Not paying attention. Today's young people are growing up in a world hyper-saturated by media. Have you ever written a paper for school while chatting with a friend, surfing the web, and listening to music, all at the same time? Deep, genuine listening is impossible when the mind is focusing on something other than the speaker's message. Listening is costly, it requires you to pay attention, being prejudiced. Pick a subject that interests you. Chances are you hold some pretty strong views about that topic. But what if a speaker challenges those beliefs? What if their viewpoint is the opposite of yours? In such situations, your prejudice might make you want to tune out the speaker. Having your long-held beliefs challenged is uncomfortable, but that is not a reason to stop listening. How to listen actively. Objective 44. Describe ways you can become an active listener. With leaders spending 70% of their day communicating, your listening skills will have a huge impact on your success as a leader. How can you become an effective listener? Outlined below are some methods for listening while prepare. Be ready to listen. Turn your attention away from what you were doing and focus on the speaker. In a classroom setting, being prepared includes having your notebook, pencil, and textbook at the ready. Sit upright, good posture helps focus the mind. And when the speaker's mouth opens, close yours and open your ears. Adjust to the situation. Naturally, outside factors can affect your ability to concentrate. If you are hungry, uncomfortable, or tired, you might not listen as well as you should. If a speaker's accent is unfamiliar or if they speak too softly, listening will be more difficult. And in a classroom setting, sometimes a speaker will simply be boring. Be aware of factors that affect your ability to concentrate and work to overcome them. Focus on key points. Listen to the right things. A speaker may cite a bunch of statistics, tell you an amusing story, and quote famous people. Listen to everything the speaker says, but focus on their key points. As you listen, ask yourself, what is this person really saying? What is their main point? Pay attention to verbal and nonverbal cues. How a speaker says something can be just as important as the actual words they use. Their facial expressions and gestures add meaning to the words they say. To emphasize an important word or phrase, they might change the inflection of their voice. Read aloud this line from the Declaration of Independence and consider how the meaning changes depending on which word you emphasize. All men are created equal. Think in context. How does the speaker's message relate to what you already know? In your mind, Try to make connections between the speaker's main point and other lessons you have learned in your life. Take notes. 
Note-taking helps you understand a speaker, follow their logic, and remember what they said. The purpose of note-taking is to summarize the speaker's main points, not to capture every word the speaker said. Confirm the message. When receiving detailed instructions, it is important to relay those back to your instructor or leader so that you both know whether you understand one another. Respond to the speaker in a way that reflects your best understanding of their message. Ask good questions to clear up anything that seems confusing. Questions and the importance of feedback, objectives, fortified. Identify the main goal of communications. 46. Describe why feedback is important in the communications process. 47. Identify and describe three levels of questions. The main goal of communications is not just to receive sounds, as in hearing, or to merely see words, as in reading, but to share meaning. How will you and the speaker know if the two of you truly understand one another? Some form of feedback or give and take is needed. Feedback takes place when you return to the speaker a portion of the message they sent to you. Perhaps the most important feedback tool is the asking of questions. They allow you to clarify a speaker's message and probe deeper into a topic. By asking questions and receiving answers from your speaker, you create a dialogue, which is when two or more people reason together about a topic. Put another way, questions are a form of teamwork where the speaker and listener work together to share meaning. As a new leader, be aware of three levels of questioning. Try not to limit yourself to basic knowledge questions. Probe deeper by asking why and how questions. Knowledge questions ask what? They ask for basic facts and data, which are stepping stones to higher levels of learning. What is the definition of active listening? What is the wingspan of the F-22 Raptor? In what year did Jefferson write the Declaration of Independence? Understanding questions ask why. Having gathered basic facts and data from knowledge level or what questions, you can ask why questions to help you understand a subject on a deeper level. Why is active listening different from hearing? Why do fighter aircraft need to be light and compact? Why did Jefferson say certain rights are unalienable? Synthesis questions ask how and explore one topic's relationship with another. They are high-level questions that help you see an issue in context. How do a leader's communication skills affect their ability to inspire the team? How would the F-22 fare against China's newest jets? How did the Declaration of Independence influence the Gettysburg Address? Don't be afraid to ask questions. One of the brightest people in human history, Albert Einstein, wrote, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Questions are not a sign of weakness or stupidity, but rather show you have a curious mind and are working hard to share meaning with the speaker, reading critically. Objectives, 48. Defend the idea that leaders should be lifelong readers. 49. Define the concept, critical reading. A statue on the grounds of the U.S. Air Force Academy is inscribed, man's flight through life is sustained by the power of his knowledge. Taking inspiration from that idea, one Air Force Chief of Staff wrote, I believe knowledge isn't a final destination, something we get and hold on to forever, but is instead a never-ending pursuit. One of the best ways to gain knowledge and develop leadership skill is to read widely. Just as with the distinction between hearing and listening, there is reading, the process of merely passing your eyes over words, and there is critical reading, the process of examining, analyzing, and evaluating the writer's message. It's the ability to find a meaning in a text. How can you become a critical reader? Read to understand. It is not how fast you read that matters, 
but how will you comprehend what you are reading? If you have good reading comprehension skills, you have a keen ability to understand an author's main points and have a sense of what the author is really trying to say. How to read critically. Objective 50. Identify and describe the steps in the SQ3R method. What can you do to improve your reading comprehension and read critically? One approach is called the SQ3R method. Survey, question, read, recall, review. 1. Survey. Before you actually read, pre-read or survey the text. Gather as much information about it as you can. Pre-reading may seem silly, but for comparison, consider what brings you to the movies. You probably saw a trailer and said, I can't wait to see that movie. Maybe you watched an actor discuss the movie on a talk show, and no doubt you saw TV commercials advertising the film. Pre-reading works the same way. It tells you what to expect from a book and helps you get more out of it. Some questions to ask during the pre-reading or survey phase include Who is the author? Am I familiar with this person? If so, what do they usually write about? What can the title tell me about the text? When was the text written? What was going on at that time that might be reflected in the text? Does the table of contents and the book's back cover give you an idea about the reading? If reading a textbook, are learning objectives listed? 2. Question. Turn the title, chapter headings, and subheadings into questions. For example, if the chapter is mentoring, rephrase the title into a question. What is mentoring? Who can be a mentor? What can mentoring do for me? You may want to include in your notes some of the questions you invented. Look them over to decipher the author's emphasis and direction, then attempt to answer the questions on your own before actually beginning to read. 3. Read. Now you are ready to begin reading. But remember, your goal is to read critically. Successful readers read with a pencil in hand and annotate. Annotation is when you make critical or explanatory notes in the margin of the text. Create an active relationship with the text by talking back or annotating. Some ways to annotate include, jot down a personal experience that the text brings to mind. Take note of the author's main ideas. Identify the author's main points by labeling them one, two, three. Offer your personal opinions about the author's ideas. Write questions about the text as you read. Four, recall. Once you finish reading, immediately try to recall what you have read. Without looking back at your notes, try to visualize and describe the author's main points. Identify and define the key vocabulary words. The recall phase helps you ensure you truly understand what you have read. 5. Review. The review phase is when you look over your questions, annotations, notes, and the text itself to keep the learning fresh in your mind. By following the SQ3R method, you have basically studied the text one piece at a time. You are more apt to retain what you have read by following this approach versus cramming for a test at the last minute. The review stage can be stretched out over the few days leading up to a test. Reading is an important tool in your development as a leader. Good leaders read widely and deeply. Mark Twain wrote, The man who doesn't read good books has no advantage over the man who can't read them. The Air Force tells its officers that learning and reading are activities they need to participate in throughout their careers and that the bulk of an officer's self-education comes from reading. 1.4. Communications. The single biggest problem with communication, writer George Bernard Shaw tells us, is the illusion that it has taken place. Leaders are great communicators. They share meaning. 
They build bridges between minds. They clear up misunderstandings. What does your ability to communicate have to do with self-management and teamwork, the previous two topics discussed in this chapter? First, through self-management, you learn to take charge of yourself. Likewise, in communications, you learn to take charge of how you receive, process, and transmit meaning. Second, your skill as a communicator affects how well you interact with your team. Team members have to share information and work together. It is hard to imagine teamwork taking place without communication. A leader is useless if he or she cannot communicate well. 1.5 Drill and Ceremonies Training As part of your study of this chapter, you will be tested on your ability to perform the following drill and ceremonies commands. Experienced cadets will instruct you. For details, see the Civil Air Patrol Drill and Ceremonies pamphlet, available at GoCivilAirPatrol.com drill. From the Civil Air Patrol Drill and Ceremonies pamphlet, Chapter 2, 1. Count Cadence, Count. From the Civil Air Patrol Drill and Ceremonies pamphlet, Chapter 3, 2. Mark Time, March. 3. Flight, Halt. 4. Forward, March. 5. Double Time, March. And Quick Time, March. 6. Left and Right Flank, March. 7. To the Rear, March. 8. Left and Right Step, March. And Flight, Halt. From the Civil Air Patrol Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 4, 9. Open Ranks, March. And Ready, Front. 10. Close Ranks, March, Review Quiz. Use this review quiz to help you study. Also pay special attention to the objectives listed throughout the chapter. They identify what we want you to learn. If you're comfortable responding to the objectives, you should earn a high score on the chapter test. 1. What does self-management mean? 2. In goal setting, what is a future picture? 3. Why is it important to follow a process when making important decisions? 4. In managing your time, why is it important to keep your goals in mind? 5. What are some coping skills you can use to manage stress? What is the most important part of a plan to manage stress? 6. Define the term, team. How does it differ from a group? Give an example of each. 7. Some say that teamwork always requires sacrifice. Do you agree? Why? 8. What is a mentor? How can a mentor help you? 9. What's the difference between hearing and listening? Give some examples of how leaders can improve their listening skills. 10. In communications, what does the term feedback mean? 11. What are the steps in the SQ3R method? 1.6 Conclusion Self-management, teamwork, and communications The common thread running through this chapter's three main topics has been the idea that leaders have to take responsibility for themselves. Once a new leader proves their abilities in those areas, they identify themselves as being ready to accept greater challenges.